to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4, and uh, we're going to take a, a break today from our Inspire series on spiritual gifts. We have a few more weeks to go in that series, and uh, then at the end of this month, we're going to have what we're calling an activation day, and uh, where we're going to help you to uh, not just discover your gifts, but to deploy them, to put them to use. One thing that we do not want, and I believe God doesn't want, is for us to just go, uh, oh, goody, I've got a gift, and do nothing with it. In fact, the Bible is, is pretty clear about people who have been given much and do little with it. Anybody ever read anything about that? I think the words are wicked and lazy servant, I think is to quote Jesus, okay? And so we don't want to be that. We, we want to uh, deploy the gifts that God has put within us. So on the last Sunday of this month, we're going to give you some practical application on how to do that. But today, I just wanted to take a, a break from this series to really speak to the moment uh, that we're at uh, as individuals and just in the, the flow of the year, because today is the first Sunday of July. In case the humidity did not let you know before you walked in, today is the first Sunday of July, which means that it is halfway through 2019. Can you believe that? And, uh, you know, I just want to speak to you today uh, about halfway points and how, how do we handle halfway points. And because oftentimes it's easy to be excited about at the beginning of something. It's easy to be filled with faith at the beginning of the year, right? How many of you had a New Year's resolution at the beginning of the year? Who? Okay, we're going to rewind and go back to January. Or, or maybe how many of you had some faith coming into the year? Maybe you're like, I don't call it a New Year's resolution. I've got a whatever spiritual word you use. How many of you, like, started out the year with some hopes for the year, right? I think we all did. And how many of you know it's easy to have hopes and great expectations on the first Sunday of January, but how many of you know on the first Sunday of July, in the dog days of summer, on a long 4th of July weekend where all you want to do is sit in the pool and drink something cold. How many of you know it's a, it's a, a little more challenging to hold on to that hope and that expectation that you started the year with, right? And so I want us to, to speak about that today because it is easier to start something than it is to finish something. It's easier to to fill your calendar than it is to fulfill your calendar. It's easier to, to make lots of plans than it is to actually accomplish anything. And so we want to talk about how do we handle this halfway point. And my hope is today that whatever is happening in your life, that, that you would be encouraged that what God has ahead of us is even greater than what is behind us. That I believe this, that we as followers of Jesus, as people of faith, we should always have this sense of great expectation. 
I don't know who first said the best is yet to come, but that's a a biblical idea for every single one of us. And so I just want to encourage you, or or I believe God wants to encourage you today uh, about what he has for you. And so I want to look at this passage in Nehemiah chapter 4. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background in Nehemiah chapter 4. If you're new to the story of the Bible, uh, the story of Nehemiah is an amazingly practical story in the Bible. It, it, just uh, the preface or the background to it, Israel, God's people, uh, had a, a promise that God would give them uh, a piece of property, this land, this promised land, that he would bless them, that he would dwell with them, and that they would be a light to the whole world from this place. And uh, ultimately, they were disobedient to him, and the Bible says that they were taken into exile, and they had spent 70 years in Babylon, 70 years outside of God's will, outside of God's plan, outside of God's purpose. And here in the book of Nehemiah, we find the children of Israel returning back to this promised land, back to the place that God had had given to them. And Nehemiah is a visionary leader that hears about the condition of Jerusalem, and and it just breaks his heart. And rather than doing nothing about it, uh, he got up and he cast the vision to uh, the the Jewish people of rebuilding the city. But, But before they could rebuild the city, they had to first rebuild the wall. And so in chapter 3, they begin to build this wall around Jerusalem. And I want to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. And I'll just say this as always. I really want to encourage you, bring your Bible uh, to church. It's just good to take notes and good to, to follow along, okay? Yeah, Justin, that's a good idea. BYOB, right? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, So, and we're just picking up the story, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, uh, the, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I, question, therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows." And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, 
great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that our God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Wow, what, what an awesome uh, return back to what God had called them to do. What an awesome comeback moment. And uh, here we found... Uh, the, the Jewish people of Jerusalem, they have begun to build the wall, and everything up until this point has just gone swimmingly. That means beautiful. Everything is just going really well. It's just uh, without any problems, without any difficulty, without challenges. In fact, what uh, people had tried to do before and had been unable to accomplish, the, this uh, group of workers had accomplished in a very short period of time. But now, rather than building the wall, now they have hit a wall. Anybody ever hit a wall before? Any, anybody ever started something and you're revved up, fired up, ready to go, full of faith, full of expectation. You charge ahead, and somewhere along the way, you just run out of gas. You just kind of lose the want to. Where does that normally happen? Well, it happened for the Jewish people. The Bible says in verse 6 that it happened halfway. Halfway. You see, halfway is, I believe, the, the, the halfway point is the hardest place in any work. It's the hardest place in any work, right? I mean, on the first day of a job, you're all excited about the job. On the last day of the job, you're excited to leave the job. But that middle day, that's the difficult day. It's, the, it's not the beginning that's the most challenging part, and oftentimes it's not the end that is the most challenging part. It is what is often called the messy middle, right? I mean, that is true in all of life. How many of you know that it's a lot easier to get married than it is to build the marriage, right? I mean, getting married, you've got all the feels, right? I mean, it is... It's just butterflies and excitement, but how many of you know it doesn't take that long, or in my case it did, it took a long, long time before, but how many of you know there reaches a moment where that initial excitement begins to wear off? If it has not worn off for you, then we'll just ask your spouse about that, right? The same is true in, in having kids. I mean, it's having a child, giving birth is not easy, but how many of you know it's a lot easier to have a baby than it is to raise a child? 
It's easy. I mean, there, there is excitement. There's, there's all of the things that happen around that. It's easy to start a, uh, or it's, it's a lot more exciting to start a big project than it is to finish a big project. There's a lot of people that have started writing a book, but a lot fewer people who have finished writing a book. A lot of people start a ministry, but don't finish the ministry. A lot of people chase a dream, but they don't accomplish the dream. I, I believe every single one of us, if we're honest today, at some point in our lives or somewhere in our lives today, you are probably at a halfway point. Uh, perhaps it's in your business. Perhaps it's in your family. Perhaps it's in, a mar in your marriage. Perhaps it's in a, a relationship. Perhaps it's in even your own spiritual life. Maybe you began the beginning of this year. You started at the beginning of this year as we're talking about living the Jesus life together. And really what we're talking about is not just making a decision for Christ, but becoming a disciple of Christ. It's a lot easier to say, to make a decision for Christ than it is to take up your cross daily and follow Christ. I mean, like the offer is on the table. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? It's like, heaven, please. Like, there, that's a no-brainer, right? There's no, I mean, if you, if you believe in the gospel, there is no, that's just, yes, please. Free salvation, get, get to heaven when I die. Yes, I am in. Sign me up. But how many of you know when you wake up the next day and it's, take up your cross daily and follow Jesus, sometimes I'm not as willing to actually change the way that I live my life as I am to just make that declaration of faith. And so maybe you started this year going, this is the year that I'm going to get serious about following Jesus. Maybe this is the, this is the, the year that I'm going to give myself, not to just be kind of a casual person of prayer, but I'm going to devote myself to prayer. Maybe you said at the beginning of this year, I'm not just going to dust off my Bible on Sundays, but I want to devote myself to the Word of God. I want to give myself to the Word of God. Maybe that was your, your decision at the beginning of the year, but, but how many of you know July comes around, right? It's easy to make a lot of declarations at the beginning, but, but it's a lot harder to keep those decisions in the middle. And every one of us today is at a halfway point. That's when the hardship came was the halfway point. That's when they wanted to give up, the workers on the wall wanted to give up, not at the beginning, but at the halfway point. And so I want to look at this today, and, and I believe there's some things in here that God wants to speak to us to encourage us wherever that halfway point is for you, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your uh, your health, maybe commitments that you've made, or if it's in your walk with the Lord, there's some things in here that are hardships that every single one of us have to face. Now, I'd love to tell you that when, you, when God calls you to something, that it's just going to be smooth sailing. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great if God just said, I've called you to this, if he had just told the children of Israel, I've given you this land? 
And then they just like walked in and there was like a little, you know, pineapple mat out. And, you know, there's like a, a nice atmosphere. The, the former residents are just like, here, you know, we really love this place, but we just feel like God wants you to have it. How many of you know that wasn't the case for the children of Israel? They, they had some hardships. And I believe this, that God allows us to face some challenges, first of all, because life is like a marathon, not a sprint. And in the marathon, everybody starts off kind of in the same place, but the further you go, the more challenges you face and ultimately the more setbacks that can come along the way. And so life is like a marathon, but God is also using those setbacks. He's using those challenges. He's using the difficulties that you're facing today to shape you into the person that he wants to, you to be in order to fulfill the promise that he has for you. God tells us, he'll often tell us a calling, he'll give us a vision, he'll give us a desire in our heart, and you'll set out on your merry way, but he doesn't, he normally does not tell you what he's going to have to do in you in order to prepare you for the purpose that he has for you. And that was what happened in Israel and so I want to look at some hardships that they faced. And I, I just want to look at four halfway hardships. If you're facing the halfway point today, perhaps you'll identify with one of these hardships that, that all of us can face at the halfway point. Things that will make you want to give up. The first thing that we often face at the halfway point, the hardship at the halfway point is when it takes longer than you expect. Anybody ever had that? 20%? The rest of you, I'm going to come around and give you some hardship. Uh, I think we've all had that. You see, God often speaks something to us, and we go, okay, God, I'm ready. Let's do it. The, the Bible says that a day to the Lord is like a thousand years. I would love to tell you that God works on your Google Cal, <laughs> Apple Calendar, whatever you use, but he is not synced to that calendar, apparently, right? He's working off of his own calendar. And so oftentimes when he speaks something to us, he gives us a glimpse of where we're going, but he doesn't tell us the timeline that it will take. And so... The challenge is that when something takes longer than we want it to take, that it can cause fatigue. Look at what the Bible says in Nehemiah 4, verse 10. This is what the report was that came to Nehemiah. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. In other words, we're just getting tired. We're exhausted. Notice that they didn't make up some hyper-spiritual answer. They weren't like, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah. They were just like, we're tired. We just want to quit. Anybody... Other than me, have times where you just get tired? 
You just get, like, I love the Lord, but I just want to take a nap right now. Anybody else know what I'm talking about, right? I, I mean, I, we love the Lord, but we live in these, the, the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And so sometimes we just get tired. And, and one of the most spiritual things that you can do sometimes is just to rest. I, I mean, I, I, if I had a life verse, it may be the verse where Jesus was sleeping in the boat. Does anybody else find any great encouragement and, and, and theological significance from the fact that Jesus slept in the middle of the day? So I just want to say, now don't do it on your boss's dime. Don't do it on the clock. But you don't need to feel guilty if you need to take a nap occasionally. Right? And y'all like that. You're excited about that. The, the fact is that, that God sets life in rhythm. And, and if there is no rest, there is no rhythm. It, it's, if there is no rest, what gives rhythm the rhythm? It is the, the rests. It's when you stop. And here, the children of Israel were just exhausted. And sometimes we reach a point where where I believe God would just say to us, just stop. There's a verse in Psalms, I believe it is, that says that the Lord gives his beloved sleep. One commentator said that a more accurate translation of that is the Lord gives to his beloved while they sleep. Have you ever thought about how inefficient sleep is? Just think about it for a moment. If you were to sleep eight hours every day, that means that one-third of your life, you were acting like you're dead. <laughs> Have you ever thought about, like if you were God, that's a scary thought, I know, but if, if you were God, would you have put that into your creation? I mean, think of all the work that we could accomplish if we just never had to sleep. Why did God do that? I believe God wanted us to one time or a major chunk out of every 24-hour period. He just wants you to remember that you're not God. Every time you lay your pretty head on that pillow, it is a reminder that although God never sleeps and he never slumbers and he never grows weary that you're not him. Therefore, the pressure is off. You don't have to be the, the master of your destiny. I, I'm all for the hustle. I'm all for working hard. I'm all for us being diligent. But there is also the moment that you just need to rest. I love that one of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath. Notice it's the only one that says remember. We don't kill someone and go, oh, I forgot. Murder is not good. I totally spaced that. I'm sorry, God. But when it comes to resting, let me just say this. It is not optional. 
You will rest out of obedience or you will rest out of discipline. But you will rest. And so God leads us. The Bible says he leads us by the still waters. He lays us down. He leads us in green pastures. Amen? And so God wants us to learn how to rest. Why? Because when you are tired, you are vulnerable. You're vulnerable to discouragement. You're vulnerable to temptation. You're vulnerable to attacks of the enemy. There's things that you can take all day long if you're well-rested, but when you're tired, every single thing becomes the proverbial straw on the camel's back, right? I mean, it's no big deal when you're rested, but when you're exhausted, it is like the world is falling apart, right? And look at, uh, the, there's a story in the Bible in Deuteronomy 25, 18, and God says this to the children of Israel. It says, never forget how the Amalekites attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who began to lag behind, those who were tired, those who, who weren't well rested, those that had allowed themselves to get weary in well-doing. Vince Lombardi said this, that fatigue makes cowards of us all. Isn't that true? Man, when I'm well-rested, if I've had a good nap or a, a good night's sleep even, a cup of coffee sometime in the Word, I'm like, I'm full of faith. I'm like David. I can run against a troop. I can leap over a wall. But about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, have you, maybe God put the thunderstorms in the summer season just to force you into napping. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of problems and that God has put these rhythms into all of creation, the rhythm of sleep and resting on a daily basis, the, the rhythm of Sabbath. And I know I've beat that drum because I believe it's a it's an answer to so many problems that plague our culture of anxiety and depression and exhaustion. Studies show that most people in our culture uh, are, do not get enough sleep, do not get enough rest. Many people work for weeks and weeks and weeks without taking a day off, and many people wear that like a badge of courage, badge of honor. And God has put this into his people that we would learn how to rest I hope that you have some time over the summer season just to power down, just to relax, to take a vacation, just to, to change your pace and just to remember the goodness of God. You know, there's a lot of problems that can be solved by just powering down. I've gone to the app, I went to the Apple store. My phone was not working. Nothing was working. I shouldn't say Apple Store. I have a phone. I will, the brand shall remain anonymous. And I went to a store, and they said, well, have you tried shutting it off? What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> they turned it off, turned it back on, and it worked. I was like, you're a genius. It's like, technically I am. Technically that is my job title, but... Anyway, so many things in our lives can be solved by just powering down. So we can get... We can uh, face exhaustion, and it can become a hardship when we just 
when it takes longer than, it ex- than we expect. The second thing I want you to see, the second difficulty and hardship, halfway hardship that we face is when, men- when things are more complicated than we expected. You see, when things take longer than we thought or we planned, it brings fatigue. But when things are more complicated than we expected, it brings frustration. I don't know if you have ever started a job and you think, I'm just going to do this quickly. It's not going to be any big deal. And then you're about five times longer than you had expected it to take, and you're still in the middle of doing it. You know, have you ever, uh, maybe remodeling uh, your house or remodeling a room, and you think, no big deal, we're just going to tear that wall down, ain't no thing, just going to get it done. Jarrett's doing that this week. And uh, you just think, this is no biggie, it's easy. We did that a few years ago. We're like, um, you know, we don't like that wall, we're going to tear that out. I thought, yeah, it'll just take, you know, not a big deal. It ended up like affecting everything in our house, right? And, and it can become so frustrating when things become more complicated than what we had expected. And look at what the Bible says in Nehemiah 10, verse 4. It says, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish. If you're not British, that means garbage, okay? There's so much garbage. They set out to make this place beautiful, and it is not beautiful. It's filled with rubbish. I don't know if you've noticed this, but building is messy. Building is messy. And sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Sometimes things have to get messy before they get beautiful, right? Jarrett asked me to come over to his house last night to help, to help him move a countertop. And I thought, this is great. I can use this as a message illustration for tomorrow. So I dropped the sink on the supply line that was coming out of the, the wall, and water went everywhere. And I just said, see, Jarrett, this is my point. <laughs> that really did happen. But I had no intentions of doing that to use as an illustration here. But... Things just get messy. When we remodeled our kitchen, we had this vision, this little 3D rendering of what it was going to be. And we started, and it eventually got to that point, but there was a lot of time where it looked nothing like that. And to be honest, I didn't say this to Jennifer, but I just thought, this is a dumb idea. <laughs> I lo- what was the problem with that wall? It was a beautiful wall. Why couldn't we have just left that wall where it was? We literally have a hole into the dirt in our kitchen. This is not an improvement, right? And sometimes when you're in the middle, it just looks like everything's falling apart. Which, let me give you a little word of encouragement. When someone is in the middle of the process, don't point out all the rubbish. Just give somebody some grace, okay? (laughs) Give somebody some grace. Psalm 25, verse 16 says this, Come, Lord, and show me your mercy, for I feel helpless. 
overwhelmed and in deep distress. Have you ever had a day like that? Have you ever had a week like that where the the best prayer you can pray is, Oh, God, help me. I'm in despair. I'm overwhelmed. I'm in deep distress. (laughs) Right? You see, building is messy. Life is messy. Serving God is messy. There's some challenges that we face. Rubbish happens. In fact, I I just want to give you a few rules of rubbish. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Maybe this benefits you. You're in the middle of this messy season, and, and maybe you just need some encouragement. Here's some rules of rubbish. First thing I want you to see is that rubbish is a part of life. My wife loves the scripture verse that says, where there is no oxen, the trough is clean. Right? And so... If there's life, there's going to be a mess. It's just part of life. Also, rubbish needs to be removed periodically. Wives, just elbow your husband. It just if you, Have you noticed that? That at some point you have to stop and take out the trash. I have developed this, I'd like to think it's a spiritual gift that I have developed the ability to totally ignore when the trash can is overflowing. And, you know, my wife can take it out. She can even put it on the front door. And I'll walk in. She's like, did you see anything? I'm like, baby, I just see your beautiful face. There's nothing else. She, She... points me towards the trash that she has left strategically. So we have to remove the rubbish. Or the third thing is rubbish will take over your life. Rubbish will take over your life if you let it. When those of you who have ever done a building project, you understand that sometimes you just have to stop, sweep up the floor, put things away. A clean job site is a safe job site, right? And so you have to just deal with the rubbish or it will take over your life. That's why people love to watch TV shows of people coming in and helping them throw stuff away. And they make it all zen-like and like it's very this deep spiritual experience. And it's just some trash, (laughs) right? But it's just, you got to get rid of it. You got to Take it out. The fourth thing is rubbish isn't always visible to you. It's not always visible to you. And so that's why we need sometimes to rest so we can get fresh perspective. I remember on a kitchen remodel that we were doing in Virginia, I tiled the floor and I was missing this piece of wood trim that was supposed to go from the family room into the kitchen. And I'm ashamed to, well, I I left it. I thought, i got to look for something like that. I'm going to get around to it. I'm ashamed to say that two years later, I was still trying to get around to it. And the funny thing was, I just stopped seeing it, right? And so rubbish isn't always visible to you. And the last thing about rubbish is rubbish is what keeps tripping you up. If you want to know what's rubbish in your life, what are the things that keep tripping you up, that you have to keep working around. 
You, you have to have regular checkups, regular purgings, regular declutterings of your life. What is it that's rubbish in your life? Perhaps it's some old relationships that you need to get rid of. Perhaps it's some old ways of thinking that you need to get rid of. Perhaps it's some old habits that you need to get rid of. Perhaps it's some old attitudes that you need to get rid of. But in order to move into what God has for you, sometimes you have to address the rubbish or it gets more complicated than you planned. It goes on to say this, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Notice that they don't say we're not going to finish building the wall. They say we cannot complete it. We are not able to finish building the wall. The third hardship that we face at that halfway point is when you doubt your ability. When you start thinking, I'm not able to do what God has called me to do. I I can't do it. God, you've got the wrong guy. You've got the wrong girl. Why did I ever get into this? Why did I step out? And now I'm just in this place that's filled with a mess filled with problems, and I can't do it. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like tapping out? Have you ever felt like, God, I, I wish I could turn around, but I'm, I, I'm too far to keep going. I don't feel like I can keep going, but I'm too far in that I can't turn around now. God, I just can't do it. And, and it causes a sense of failure. I'm not able to do it. And that's where the Jewish people were. God, we're not able to do it. Now, the interesting thing is they had already done what they're saying they're not able to do. They had already built the wall up halfway, but now they're saying we can't build the other halfway. Here's the question that I have for you is where do you go when you feel like you can't keep going? Where do you go when you say, God, you got me into this mess? How am I getting out? Where do you go? Do you go to the pity party? I'm going to throw a pity party. I'm going to send you my Evite. I'm going to put a Facebook event. I want all y'all to know that I'm having a pity party. I want you to know that life is not good for me right now, and I'm going to try to make sure that all of you come to my pity party. Do you go to a pity party, or do you go to a praise party? I know that's cheesy. They both start with P, I know, but the reality is you have a decision to make. When you feel like you can't go on, are you just going to sit down in the dirt and lay there and wallow in the dirt, or are you going to get up and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but God, you're the one that got me into it, and I thank you that you're able to get me out of it. I thank you, God, that you who began this good work in me will be faithful to complete it. God, I'm just 
following you. I'm just obedient to you. And God, I can't do it in my own strength. But like the Apostle Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it's not about my strength, it's about his strength. You see, God's ultimate purpose for you is not about where he takes you, it's about what he does in you. God wasn't wanting just a cool city, he was wanting a shaped people. It was always about having a people who were prepared for the coming of the Lord. And what God is after in your life is not just some great accomplishments to put on your tombstone. He's after shaping you and making you into his image. And so when you face those challenges, where do you go? I love what the psalm says. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The Bible is filled with words of encouragement. Psalm 71 verse 14 says, I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like praising. I feel like cussing. I, y'all act so holy. I don't feel like speaking good things, but God, I'm going to choose to set my mind I'm going to choose to not set my mind on things below. I'm going to choose to set my mind on things above. I will praise you yet more and more. Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love what Josh said earlier. Sometimes you just have to preach to yourself. It's good to hear other people preach, but there's something about the word in your own heart and in your own mouth that when you begin to declare the word of God, you may call it hyping yourself up. I don't care what you call it. The Bible says it's encouraging yourself in the Lord. If your option is putter out, I think I'm going to go for the encouraging myself in the Lord. Where is our confidence? Our confidence is not in our own ability. If you're living within your ability, you're not fulfilling what God has for you. If you're living in your ability, you're not living in the realm of faith. God's called us to get out of our ability, so that's beyond our self-confidence and into God-confidence, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. When you realize that God will not abandon you, there is a confidence that comes. We as followers of Jesus Christ should be the most confident people on the earth. Not self-confident, but God-confident. Hebrews says, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. And so you may feel like a failure, but it's not your power. It's his power. And so you need to find that place of fellowship with the Lord. The fourth thing, and i got to move quickly. Hardships, halfway hardships. The fourth thing is when opposition gets stronger. When opposition gets stronger, look at what it says in verse 11. It says, our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything 
till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So they're already fatigued, right? They're already frustrated. They already feel like a failure. And now there's a threat on their life. How many of you know that's enough to make you want to give up? That's enough to make you want to throw in the towel and turn back to run back to King Artaxerxes, right? That's enough to make you want to give up. Their adversaries had moved into the land and they weren't there just handing over the keys. They were there to resist them, to resist Israel. But let me give you some encouragement. The only things that face resistance are things that are moving forward. If, if you don't want to face any resistance in your life, let me give you a key right now. Uh, you just This will lead you into a resistance-free life. Here it is. Are you ready? Get your, get your pens ready right now. Here it is. Very profound. If you never want to face any resistance, do nothing. Dream no great dreams. Don't attempt to lead anyone to Jesus. Don't attempt to grow in your faith. Don't attempt to have a marriage that becomes an encouragement to people around you. Don't attempt to raise children that are not cowering in fear because of the culture that we live in, but live like arrows in the hand of a warrior. But if you don't want to face resistance, don't do it. Because if you do it, you will face resistance. If you set out in what God has called you to do, you will face resistance. Their enemies mocked the builders. Their enemies tried to create confusion. Verse 8 says that they created confusion. In verse 10, they threatened to kill them. There was all these threats of the enemy. They were fearful for their lives. And notice who it was that heard the loudest threats. Nehemiah 4.12 says, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told them ten times, Whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. It was the ones that lived closest to the enemy that heard the loudest threats. You see, the closer you are to the enemy, or the, the, the more that you allow yourself to be drawn into listening to the wrong voices, the more threats you will face. And so every one of us have a decision. Are we going to listen to the world or are we going to listen to the word of God? Who will you listen to? Ephesians 6, 17 says that we are to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's why it's so important to have time daily in the Word of God, reading the Bible, meditating on the Bible, memorizing the Bible. Did you know that adults have the capacity to memorize Scripture? Did you realize that? And the Bible says that you fill your heart with good things because out of the, uh, out of the, the, the good man brings good treasure out of the good things in his heart. Ephesians says, take up the sword of the Spirit. I love what Joshua was told in Joshua 1.8 as he was going into the promised land. 
He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. How is it? The book of the law. That was the Old Testament scripture. You speak it, you meditate in it, you obey it, and then you make your way prosperous and you have good success. You can decide what voices you listen to. Will you continue to listen to the voices of negativity that fill our world today? I I am always amazed at the amount of bad news that people can tell us. I mean, there are Huge corporations that if they don't have anything bad to say, they have nothing to say at all, right? They're just peddling bad news all the time. And if you listen to that, you will live in fear. And so you've got to learn to fill your heart and mind with the word of God. That's why I say bring your Bible on a Sunday. Not to be legalistic, but you need to take some notes in your Bible. You need to remind yourself of some things so that when you go home, you can meditate on it. A seed doesn't do any good if it just skims the surface. You have to take hold of the word. You have to put it into your heart. You have to begin to meditate on it. And so that every morning when you wake up, before you get out of bed and and before you go to bed, you're meditating on the word of God. And so these were the setbacks that they were facing. They were facing fatigue. They were facing frustration. They were facing failure. And they were facing fear. But I want to give you the keys that Nehemiah gave of turning these setbacks into comebacks. To to press through into the second half of what God had for them. First thing I want you to see is if you're in that hard halfway point, the first thing is do this. Reorganize what's not working. Look at what he said in verse 13. Therefore, I positioned the men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. What did Nehemiah do? He reorganized the work. He didn't throw in the towel. He he didn't give up on the dream. He didn't give up on the calling. He reorganized the workers. He just thought differently about what he was doing. You know, I think it's so good to have moments where we get out of our routine so that we can just see things through new eyes. We can see things differently. And so we had to, uh, he reorganized. He was doing the right thing, but he had the wrong approach. Let me ask you this question today. Where do you need to reorganize? Is there some habits in your life that you need to switch? Is there some practical things? Maybe you said, I'm going to pray, you know, spend time with the Lord every morning. And maybe you find that you don't have the time in the mornings. Well, there's nothing sacred about having to spend all of that time in the morning, you can maybe move some of it to the evening. Now, I would say don't wait till you get to the evening, but that's another message. But you can reorganize what's not working. The second thing that he said to do is refocus on God. Verse 14, he says this, Remember the Lord great and awesome. In other words, he's saying, Remember, this is not just your effort and your fight. I want you to refocus. Remember the Lord. Get your eyes back on to God. Remember the why behind the what. We need times that we 
draw near to God, that we devote time. That's why silence and solitude at moments is so important so that you can draw away from the busyness of life and draw near to the presence of God. We oftentimes say we don't have any time to do those things. Well, where's the man with the gun that's controlling your schedule? Right? Moving on, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got to refocus. It, it's, I've said this before on Sundays. This is not about being legalistic. You've got to be here every Sunday. got to be here every Sunday. got to be here every Sunday. But uh, if you go to the gym bi-monthly, you'll get bi-monthly results, right? You'll get sweaty every other month, and that's it, right? <laughs> There's discipline that will produce the results in your life. You've got to spend time with the Lord. Refocus on God on a daily basis. Don't wait until you need an intervention moment to go to God. Amen? Recommit yourself to the Lord. God, I'm going to follow you. You're my priority, just like we were singing today. That's what worship does. It retunes our heart back to God. And we need to refocus on God. The third thing that we need to do is we need to resist discouragement. Resist discouragement. At the end of the day, you have to make the decision of whether or not you're going to give in to fear, whether or not you're going to give in to your own emotions, whether or not you're going to give in to the enemies that are coming against you, or are you going to fight against those things? Amen? There, there's a lot of churches that are so sweet and nice. I'm like, you, I'm sure you could give a great hug, but I would, if I was in a battle or a fight, I would not want you with me. You know what I'm saying? There are some Christians that are way too nice. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be kind. I'm just saying don't be like a spiritual jellyfish. You know, everything that comes along, I just blow here, just blow here. Uh. Come on. Get a, get a spine, get a, you guys have a spine, I'm not beating up on you, but you understand what I'm saying, like we've got to stand up, there is an enemy, he wants to destroy you, we are in a battle, but greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world, amen? And listen to what he says, we've got to move quickly to receive our offering here in a few minutes, I'm sorry, I've taken too much time. But listen to what he says. Verse 14, he says, Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren. Fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives and for your houses. Don't just lay down and play dead. Stand up and fight against the work of the enemy that wants to destroy you. You've got to fight against the enemy. You've got to make the choice to fight. And look at what he says. He says, don't just fight for yourself. Fight for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, for your families. Let me ask you this question. What is at stake if you throw in the towel? Whose life depends on you being faithful to what God has spoken to you? Whose 
destiny will be impacted by the decision that you make. God wants us to not just live for ourselves, but to live to impact others around us. And so I want to ask you this as the worship team comes back. What's the unfinished business in your life? What's the area of your lives, your life, that, that maybe you're facing hardship? In fact, I'll invite you to go ahead and stand up to your feet.